This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey guys, Doug Maurice, Post Game Pod here. It's going to be me, Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, Scott Patsko. This is what we're breaking down. Baker Mayfield and his injury, how Case Keenum played. The Ernest Johnson, how he played, what that means. Kevin Stefanski's decision to go on fourth down and what we thought of the defense. Big win for the Browns. Go to four and three. You guys know that. I hope you also know about our Browns insider. Lots of stuff. It's really quite a deal. If you enjoy Browns football, which I assume you do, if you're listening to this, you go to cleveland.com slash Browns. I know you've heard people say it before, but maybe it goes in one ear and out the other. I would just recommend trying it. You get texts in your phone, little updates, news analysis. There's a lot of injury stuff that you're going to want to be on top of. Mary Kay Cabot, Dan, like they're on top of all this stuff. Um, and then you get a newsletter in your mailbox every day, like more Browns. Don't you want more Browns? And then you get, make sure you get access to every story that we're writing about the Browns at cleveland.com. So I think it's a really good value, especially here in the heart of football season. If you haven't tried it, I'd recommend giving it a shot. So you go to cleveland.com slash Browns, click on the blue banner. You get instructions there about how to sign up. I know it's tough sometimes um, to pay for this stuff, but like, if you really, really care about this team, I'm just telling you, I, I bet you'll think it's worth it. And if it's not, you can cancel. So let's get ready to do this post-game pod. Browns win 17-14. Grateful you guys are joining us here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Here we go. Welcome to the post-game Orange and Brown Talk podcast. The Cleveland Browns are 4-3 and three after a home win on Thursday night over the Denver Broncos. Doug Lamarice here with Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, and Dan Lobby. There's a lot of game stuff to talk about, but I would like to dive right into something, Mary Kay, that you wrote after this game about the future of Baker Mayfield. And it certainly seems to be now that we got to look at Case Keenum and now that we found out a little bit more about Baker Mayfield. Don't worry, listeners, we'll, we'll get to some game stuff. You wrote that you think it might be the right thing, maybe, to at least think about maybe Baker Mayfield shutting it down. I read that piece. It was very interesting. You have a lot of reporting in there. The thing I want to know is, is that a, are you basing that mostly on medical stuff? Or are you thinking that watching Case Keenum do what he did Thursday night would make it more likely that the the Browns could manage without Baker, which maybe would lead you more down the line of maybe he should shut it down. You know, really, it was based on uh, medical information. Uh, I did actually talk to a surgeon today, and I will be writing that uh, tomorrow. We're taping this right after the game. So I will be writing that on Friday. Uh, But I talked to a surgeon before I even knew uh, that he had fractured the humerus bone, I think it's called. uh, And he told Jay Glazer about that. But I did talk to the surgeon about that. And he was saying, and he was telling me that, 
that if you start to fracture and injure the humerus bone, you're getting into some dangerous territory. And each time you dislocate the shoulder, you can lose more bone. And you start to get into some things that, uh, you know, that you just don't really want to do. So what turns, what goes from a, an, a simple arthroscopic surgery in an outpatient situation uh, can evolve into having to have a bone graft in your shoulder. So now that we know that he actually does have the fractured bone, uh, I, I just think it takes it to a whole new level. Now, if you knew that you were not going to get hit for the rest of the season, if you knew that you were maybe had two games left and then you were heading into the playoffs, then no, you don't shut it down. But the reason why I think you have to give it some serious consideration is because there are still so many games left in the season and, um, and each time you get hit, you have a chance of dislocating it again and further re-injuring it. And you risk, you know, it just gets risky. And he already is going to have to have surgery after the season. So, you know, and, and I, I will be writing more about this, but even if it were just the labrum that you were repairing, guess, somebody guess for me, how, what, how many, what the recovery period would be like for that. Just throw something out there. Six months. That's a lot. I would say two, somewhere in the two to three month range. Just the labrum alone is four to six months. Okay. So if he has surgery, obviously like in January, then, you know, he would be out until May as it is Uh, May at the earliest and then June. So you're talking about uh, and, and this is for the non-throwing shoulder, um, four to six months. That was just with the torn labrum. Now you can let the humerus bone heal on its own, possibly, uh, but if it gets worse, then you're starting to look at pins, screws, possible bone graft. So I just think he didn't look like himself beforehand, right? Did any of us think that Baker looked like himself before this? No, we've covered that on previous pods. Nobody thinks that. Nobody thought that. So therefore, I don't know. There's just, I think Case can can get the job done, but more so than anything, I think that Baker Mayfield for his future health and for his future with the Cleveland Browns should probably at least think about shutting it down now and getting that shoulder taken care of. Okay, I was very curious what your thinking was going into that. There's always a lot of reporting and everything you write, Mary Kay. And so that's a very good explanation. We started with that because that's a huge issue for the Cleveland Browns. And you have as much information about that as anybody out there. Dan Lobby, what did you think of Case Keenum tonight? And I want to make sure we're trying to extrapolate a little bit from this game. Mm -hmm. What you saw from him tonight, did it make you think, you know what, if they've got to go with this guy, I think they can be okay. Or, you know, he's a 33-year-old backup quarterback. He's not Baker Mayfield. Can we define okay? <laughs> like, like what is okay? Like, like if when we, when we get to January, like what's okay? Well, a ninety point three passer rating. That's okay. What he had tonight. <laughs> listen, yeah, listen. I, I, I mean, we we all know what the deal is with this roster. They're set up to win this year. We have you have to think about Baker Mayfield long term. They're set up to win this year. If they don't win a playoff game, no matter who's on the field, it's going to be a little disappointing. Can Case Keenum get into the AFC Championship game? Can they get there? He's not going to get them there. Can they get there with him as the starting quarterback if need be? 
No, I mean, I, mean, I, I suppose there's a world where they could because they can run the football. Maybe the defense builds off this performance. But at some point, Case probably has to win you a game. It would probably have to be on the road in Buffalo, in Kansas City, you know, in Baltimore. I, I don't know. I just don't know that I see that happening. Um, and then that's not nothing against Case Keenum. Like, Case Keenum was fine tonight. Case Keenum did what they needed him to do uh, on a short week, no first-team reps. I think Case Keenum, if he were to start four to five or however many games in a row, would get better as he was taking more first-team reps and getting more comfortable. And he's got a lot of weapons around him to work with. But at the same time, I, I don't look at this team, even with, with Case Keenum at quarterback, as a team that can go to and win an AFC championship game. If that's if that's the goal and that's the standard, then no, I don't think that can happen. Can they get to the playoffs? Probably. It just sort of depends on, on – I mean, the AFC is wide open right now. So, yeah, I mean, things could break their way and they could get to the playoffs. But I don't know how much damage they could actually do if Case started the rest of the year. Can I, can I be honest? I'm asking a bunch of loaded questions. And the reason that I'm asking a bunch of loaded <clears throat> questions is I want to make sure Browns fans – aren't coming away from a good effort by Case Keenum and Dearness Johnson and being like, those are my Browns. We're ready. We can, because those are the Browns that they've been like for the past 15 years. It wasn't good enough long-term. That was an amazing effort by a backup running back and a backup quarterback and a lot of backups tonight to get a win under tough circumstances. And everybody deserves credit for that. There's a little bit, there's a little hot cha-cha on Twitter tonight that I'm like eager to dispel. I just don't want anyone to think that they're actually better with Case Keenum and Dearness Johnson compared to Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt. So I was just seeing where we were. Scott, am I, listen, I looked up the thing. I looked up numbers. Next-gen stats, Case Keenum, he was, so he was 21 of 33. He was eight of eight on passes at or behind the line of scrimmage. So he was 13 of 25 down the field. That's 52%. Listen, Baker completes a bunch of passes behind the line of scrimmage too, but he completes more down the field. And he, Case Keenum Scott was 0 for 2 on passes of 20 yards or more. They didn't even try, which is fine, but I just would like to re- keep that context here of that was a winning formula to get a 17-14 win against the Denver Broncos with Vaughn Miller hurt for half the game on a Thursday night. I don't think that's a whole second half of the season formula, but Scott, I thought it was a good backup quarterback performance in a tough spot. Yeah, look, this team is set up and this offense is set up to where you can put a quarterback in it and the quarterback should play well. Quarterbacks play better in offenses that use play action. Case Keenum was really good at it tonight. I'm curious to see how many of those completions came on play action, but uh, most of those passes, I remember there's a couple he had to throw away, but there were, he did well on play action. So can Case Keenum get the Browns to the AFC championship? Like when we think of that question, we're thinking, can Case Keenum put the team on his back and win the game? Like, yes, they can get as far as they need to with Case Keenum or a quarterback like Case Keenum or anybody in an offense like this. It's set up that way. It's quarterbacks play well in this offense. But, you know, you get to the AFC Championship game. There's nobody saying that he's got to win the game. You have the best rushing attack in the league. You have a defense that has so much potential. That's how you can win that game. I think we're just, we think Case Keenum in the AFC Championship, ah, that guy probably can't win it for us. But I think everybody jokes to the conclusion that he has to. 
So this goes back to, to Mary Kay's thing about shutting it down. I don't look at this game at all and say, yeah, shut it down because Case Keenum's your guy. Because you're right, this was the Broncos. They're not a good team. They have not beaten good teams. And they were without their best defensive player for most of the game. So I'm not ready to jump on the – if Baker's going to shut it down, it's because Baker needs to shut it down for his health, not because of what we saw at Case Keenum tonight. But having gotcha. said all that, I do think this team can be successful if Baker Mayfield isn't the quarterback. And, you know, I, I'm getting uh, – I noticed – I try not to look at my – mentions too often but i am getting hammered in the in the mentions um i'll join the club (laughs) but but here's the thing people are reacting like like i'm saying the latter that baker mayfield should shut it down because case went out and won a football game and that's absolutely not it but see that's the whole thing a lot of times people don't actually read now Doug, you were kind enough to actually read what I wrote. Uh, so you kn- you knew that it was that it is a medical decision. And Dan, I'm curious uh, with what you said, uh, you know, about case, because I, I agree with what you said. And I mean, I agree with what everybody's saying about how he performed tonight and the expectations for him. But when you weigh that against, like, would you rather have Case Keenum or would you rather have Baker Mayfield with this bad wing where we don't know what the next hit is going to do to it. So I think that's the question. So what do you think about that, Dan? I'm curious. Yeah. I I mean, it's a health, it's a health issue. I mean, that that's kind of where we're at with this. Right. And, and I agree with that. Like I absolutely agree. Like Baker Mayfield needs to be careful with his health and he needs to put himself first in this situation because Baker Mayfield one way or another is going to make a lot of money soon. And if he's hurt, he's not going to make a lot of money. So he can't do long lasting damage to that shoulder. And so, yeah, I I mean, the way we're framing this is the right way. And the way you framed it, Mary Kay is the right way. Like Case Keenum didn't go out there and play like a Super Bowl quarterback, but he was competent. He did what they needed him to do. He didn't turn the ball over. Right. There were no turnovers in this game. He did fumble the ball on that fourth down. Uh, they, ended up, they ended up not calling it a fumble. But he took care of the football. It got to the right places most of the time. Like, that's fine. He did what he was supposed to do. But Baker's got Baker's to think about his health. And, you know, the Baker we saw the last few weeks wasn't exactly incredible either. So, I mean, it's just a tough situation. Mm-hmm. I would rather have a Baker Mayfield getting healthier out there, but I just don't know if that Baker Mayfield exists. Yeah. In fact, I, I'm fairly certain at this point it doesn't exist. It's, it's tough because I'm telling you right now that nobody can really predict the damage that's going to happen on the next hit. Each time it dislocates and the thing, and I put this in the story, the thing that makes it uh, just so iffy is the fact that like in the, in that past game, in the Cardinals game, it slipped out all on its own again on a non-contact that shows you that it's really unstable right now and that it is kind of in need of repair. And we find out there's a broken bone in there. I mean, that just takes it to another level, but you don't know what the next hit is going to do. I mean, TJ Watt, I mean, what do you think TJ Watt is going to do? Right. I mean, he's going to get hit and he's going to get sacked this year. So that that's the whole thing. It's the uncertainty 
of, of how bad this thing can get. Can we start by ending the plays where the Browns run a reverse that sets up the quarterback to be a blocker, which they did like <laughs> again tonight. And then you get just tell the quarterback to run off the field on the reverse. We don't want quarterbacks making blocks on this team right now just to double. And listen, I don't, I want to make sure we don't head down like it. This is a really good team win. And I want to ask you about that, Mary Kay, but mm-hmm. I want to double check with Scott Pasco. We said we would do this in the post game pod. We feared that a Browns victory would tear this team apart with a quarterback controversy. Case Keenum won this game. Scott Patsko, do you think it will tear this team apart? No, because they didn't win this game because Case Keenum went up. And also, I think a large part of that argument was that he would have great uh, chemistry with Odell and Austin Hooper. And uh, I think like the first four passes he threw to Odell were incomplete. So I, I didn't come away from this game thinking that uh, Odell and, and Case had a special connection. So. No quarterback controversy. All right. So let's double back on the idea that they won this game with this wounded roster. No Jack Conklin, no Nick Chubb, no Kareem Hunt, wounded Odell, no Baker Mayfield, no Jeremiah Owusu-Kormoa, who I thought the absence of JOK allowed the Broncos to score on that screen pass on third and 10, because I thought if JOK was on the field, he would have gotten there. Mary Kay, you have covered this team for a long time. What is the right way to evaluate a win like this against not a great opponent, but with a bunch of injuries? You know, it, I, it would be if they would have lost, they would have had excuses. Mm-hmm. Do the Browns normally, I was going to say, do, do the Browns normally win games like this? In your career here, the Browns don't normally win any game. So, <laughs> like, how, what is the right way for fans to take in a low scoring, close win against an inferior opponent? but for a very injured team in a tough spot, how good is this win for the Browns? You know what is they, it, they did exactly what they needed to do. They needed to go out and get back on the, the winning track uh, to break that two game losing streak. Uh, my, my, one of my big takeaways is that, that the Broncos are not a very good football team at all. So I, I don't think that they should get too high and mighty about what just happened because the Broncos are on a horrible downward slide right now. They just lost their fourth straight game and they're going to lose a lot more football games. Okay. So that's not a very good football team that they just beat. Um, Having said that they did it with, you know, held together by glue and rubber bands. And so I think that they did show, like Dan said in his opening statement, they showed a lot of heart. They showed a lot of guts. Um, there's a lot of room for improvement for a lot of guys. I mean, that was a bad scene by Odell Beckham Jr. tonight. Like, I know he was playing really, really hurt. But that first half, it was like, whoa, like, what's going on with you? Um, so, I mean, it was a gritty, gutsy effort by a lot of injured guys. And I think that will serve them well as they go along. But I can't help but think that they, um, you know, that the Broncos just aren't very good and they, that they have to keep the uh, – the, their foot on the gas pedal and try to continue to get better because this isn't going to inform too much about trying to beat the Ravens and teams like that. A little sloppy by the Browns too. They had a couple of those penalties. I think it was Higgins and Odell each had a penalty for lining mm-hmm. up wrong. And, I, and the Njoku sloppy motion at the end of the game, like thank goodness Dearness Johnson made that first down again. That That's exactly mm-hmm. the kind of thing that you let that happen all of a sudden. Now you're trying to do something and, now, though, here come the Broncos with 54 seconds left. That was a really unnecessary penalty. So a little bit of not exactly on point. 
I want to talk about Dearness Johnson. I want to talk about the fourth down call. And I want to talk about the defense before we get out of here. Cause I like to do three hour podcasts, but you guys are like writing six stories. You got to go to bed. <laughs> Scott, what's the right way to take in Dearness Johnson. You put an inflammatory headline on Twitter. Everybody's attacking you. I get it. You're trying to do the thing. This is a great run game and a great offensive line. Do you really th- like, how should we view heck if Dearness Johnson t- can do it? Well, then what do you need Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt for? What did you think of the way he played tonight? What's it mean for the run game? Is there an award for getting people to say they didn't read your story without getting them to say they didn't read your story? Because <laughs> if so, I am like, I'm, I'm dominating that award. <clears throat> Not just this week, but, you know, last two weeks. Um, yeah, I wrote that running, well, the headline had to do with running backs don't matter. And the idea is, yeah, you have a great scheme and you have a great offensive line, it doesn't matter so much that you have someone who the running back is. And now Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are not like most running backs. They are great at forcing missed tackles. They are great at busting long runs, turning, you know, five-yard gains into, you know, 25-yard gains. Um, and Dernis Johnson showed tonight that he is able to do those kinds of things too. Um, it wasn't just him running through big holes. He was cutting back at the right time. Uh, he was forcing guys to miss uh, kind of in space. So, so that was good. Um, but again, you know, the Broncos do not have the best run defense, not at all. And uh, I think the scheme had a lot to do with it. And their plan of making sure that the Broncos did not go heavy, that Darius Johnson and the offensive line uh, had an advantage uh, on who was in the box or the types of players who were in the box. So that contributed to it, but yeah, you don't want to take anything away from Dernis's uh, performance because it was great. It was great. I mean, he, he got a lot of those yards on his own and, and that had a lot to do with it. But I'm, you know, again, you know, we talked about case like this. I'm not ready to hand over the reins to Dernis Johnson and say, uh, yeah, it doesn't really matter at all uh, that, you know, whether or not Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Dernis Johnson doesn't matter because it does matter. Um, and if people read the whole story that I wrote, they'd see that. But uh, yeah, I, it was a great performance, but I think it's maybe half him, half, half game play. And I do think this is what a good team has. You have backups who in the moment perform so well, it makes you think, oh man, could they be starters? It's like, no, they couldn't be starters. You want them to be really good backups behind very good starters. Dan, you'd like the big guys. This offensive line also did its job tonight, right? Did it not? Right. To me, this win was a coaching win. This win was Kevin Stefanski scheming things up, but even beyond that, and probably more importantly, this was, Bill Callahan should get a game ball tonight. Stump Mitchell should get a game ball tonight. This was a coaching win. This was, this was coaches getting guys ready to play, making sure Dearness Johnson was going to be able to step in and have a game like this and, and run patiently, no one to cut back, know what he's doing out there, not, not look like some third string running back or fourth string running back that we weren't even sure was going to make the team this year because they drafted Demetri Felton. You know, we all thought as soon as they drafted Felton, Dearness Johnson was gone. So, you know, he fought, he found a way to stay on the roster and Bill Callahan coached up, has coached up this amazing scheme for the offensive line. Stump Mitchell, probably one of the best running back coaches in football. I think we can say that about him with with the job he's done here. Uh, I I think this was a coaching victory and the Ernest Johnson was really good tonight and he gave this team exactly what they needed in the run game and uh, you know, credit to him, but yeah, I mean, we, we have to mention Bill Calhoun and Stump Mitchell if we're going to talk about this performance. John Kelly, over six yards per carry tonight. John Kelly. 
and I, I had my Demetric Felton eight touches prediction. I think he had it was four in there. He had four in the first half, and, and like no, and then like they kind of went away from him. They, they, they did at least throw a swing pass, uh, a couple things to him. Um, okay, we got to get the Mary Kay's prediction as well because I know Mary Kay's like, let me say that my prediction came true, but I want to do the I want to do the fourth down thing first because Kevin Stefanski in fourth downs has been a story all year, and they go for it on fourth and three late in the third quarter. I'd like the eight yard line or whatever. I will say I thought it was the wrong decision when he made it. And I still think it's the wrong decision. And I don't think it's only about whether you make it or not, whether that makes it the right decision or not, because I will say the play they called. I went back and watched it three times. Case Keenum drops back to pass. He looks at Odell completely covered. He looks at Austin Hooper as his second read in the middle of the field completely covered there's a safety on him and a linebacker right in the throwing lane there is nothing there and when case keenum notices that his first two reads are gone and everybody's covered he is 13 yards from the first down marker and there is a linebacker looking straight at him and he runs and thank goodness for the browns that the two linebackers that had a shot at case keenum keenum were curtis robinson who's a rookie undrafted guy from Stanford and Justin Stranod. I don't even know what his name is. (laughs) He's a second year, fifth round pick from Wake Forest. If you're being chased by anybody other than Wake Forest and Stanford guys there, you get tackled. It's your 33 year old backup quarterback and Kevin Stefanski, whatever play you called there was completely covered. Now, if the Browns had kicked a field goal, and then everything else happens, they'd be trailing 14-13 on that final drive at the end of the game. Not trying to put it away, but needing a field goal to win. If Case Keenum doesn't break two tackles there, they're down 14-10, driving, needing a touchdown to win. In that situation, I like the chances of the Browns to kick a game-winning field goal. I'm not sure I would have loved Case Keenum needing to drive the Browns late in the game for a go-ahead touchdown. What did you guys think? both before and after Mary Kay, what did you think of going forward on fourth down? You know what? I never mind going for it on fourth down. I, I've become a going for it on fourth down uh, aficionado. So going the team. Yeah. Any, anytime I'm, I'm all for it now. Like I I'm disappointed if if anybody doesn't go for it on fourth down anymore, it's just sort of like automatic in my mind. So I, I was totally 100% fine with it. Scott, you and your robots were happy with it. Yeah. I thought it was, I liked the decision to go for it. It was fourth and three, right? Um, Yep. I think it's hilarious that the fourth down, they finally convert in a big moment. was just a disaster and, and never should have, it never should have been. I mean, it was just, you're right. Everybody was covered and he's scrambling and then he fumbles, you know, luckily he was down, but uh, that just, yeah. The fact that they made it on fourth down really doesn't change anything about the fact that they've really been struggling so much to convert those, but I do, I mean, I, you go for it. It just, it's three yards. And for whatever reason, Kevin Stefanski, and it's not all him. I don't know. Odell's had two drops on fourth downs, but yeah, I, it's just amazing that a guy who was so good in the red zone last year, you know, he's so good at coming up with two-point conversion plays. And just when you get into short yardage on fourth down, it just blows up. Dan? I, I don't mind it, I, I'm, but I'm, 
I think the play call was somehow that ball ended up in Case Keenum's hands and it shouldn't have been in Case Keenum's hands. I go back to Monday night football, right? We all watched that Monday night game. And the reason Sean McDermott makes the right call there is because he's trying to win the game with an MVP candidate trying to pick up that first down, right? One of a great quarterback, a guy who, like I said, should, might win the MVP this year. Who knows? He's in the discussion and Josh Allen, Doug, I'm sorry to say that. I'm sorry to say MVP and Josh Allen. No, I, I'm, <laughs> and I'm okay saying that Josh Allen is better than Case Keenum. I, I'll but just the, give him that. But, but one of the reasons you like the decision is you're putting that game in the hands of your best player, right? Now, the Browns didn't have their best player today. They didn't have Nick Chubb. They, well, they had Miles Garrett. They didn't have their best offensive players today necessarily. But look, they got Jarvis Landry wide open on the play before that. And Case Keenum just didn't throw to him. Yeah. So figure out a way to do that again. Figure out a way to get the ball in Jarvis's hands quickly. Or, you know, I don't know. Again, we're, we're going to go down the list pretty quickly here because guys just weren't out there. Like if Kareem Hunt is on the field, you're probably getting the ball in Kareem Hunt's hands or you're handing it to Nick Chubb or something like that. But when you make that decision, you've just got to find ways to get the ball in the hands out of out of Case Keenum's hands and into the hands of the guys that are going to make that play for you. We don't like you don't change the thinking because it's the backup quarterback and you don't have your top two running backs. I know the robot said still go for it because they just look <laughs> at the algorithm. Where's the case? Keenum is a 33 year old backup who hasn't started in three years. Part of the algorithm. If you kick the field goal there, you go up six, you force this horrible Denver offense to score a touchdown to beat you. They got bailed out, man. Like they got bailed out in a big way. And if they get stopped there, not only do you not get the three points or the seven that they got, it's a momentum shift and they called a terrible play. So like, I, you know, I think Kevin has reached the point and I know he said after the game, we don't go for it just to go for it. I don't know, man. Like, points are gold in a game like this. This isn't Patrick Mahomes. When you're playing Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray, threes aren't going to win you the game. Against Teddy Bridgewater, threes will win you the game. I thought it was I thought it was a really bad call to go for it and the play call and absolutely bailed out by luck by a Case Keenum juke. Not to be negative, but let's just make sure that we're not putting the pedal down too hard with your backup quarterback and none of your best running backs. Okay. Hey, but by Go the ahead. way, Doug, 33 in the quarterback world is now 23. So, you know, not 30, my world. 33 is like, you know, spring chicken. So that yeah, was we, that- we, all, we all saw that Kyler Murray roughing call last week. These guys, you can't touch quarterbacks anymore. These guys are going to play till they're 60. <laughs> Except for Baker. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, right. Ask Baker if 33 is the new 23. So, um, okay. So I think, you know, offensively, you know, 17 points, that's not a ton of points, but they kind of did what they had to do. Mary Kay, you called the John Johnson, the third pick. How did you see it? Did you dream it? And what did you think of that play that he made in that situation? Well, first of all, I've always been a bit prescient when it comes to interceptions. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, I do have sort of uh, the, you know, the Raven, you know, vision on that sort of thing. Um, so I don't know. I just felt like it was coming. No, actually it was, I think he wanted to get back the one that he did not get last week, which we had talked about that. Um, and it was just, it was a nice heads up play on, on his part. And he, you know, he just kind of stuck with it and, 
And, you know, it was the kind of plays that we expect him to make, right? It's the kind of plays that we expect to see more of going forward. And hopefully for the Browns and for JJ3, this opens up the floodgates a little bit and gets him rolling because I'm sure he loved uh, making an impact play like that. He was, uh, you guys are all at the game. I'm in my basement. Did he come out? Was he one of the guys that spoke after the game or no? John Johnson. No. 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 Okay. Could you guys tell, it looked like, to me, I mean, they showed the replay on, on TV that he he did take one step forward on a crossing route coming across and then went back into his deep zone and made the pick. I You can't tell. All you see is the action. He either baited Teddy Bridgewater into it a little bit to try in that throw or he was about to get sucked up on a crossing route, which he said this week safeties can't do. And then he realized, no, 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 I can't do that. And he went back to where he was supposed to be. And he made the exact play because Teddy Bridgewater, the corner was beat, right? The corner had outside leverage. The receiver kind of had it inside. If the safety's not there, that I know why Teddy Bridgewater threw that. But John Johnson made that play. Dan, is that that feels like. There's a lot of talk this week. There's been talk all season. Is John Johnson playing the right position? He was still back in that deep safety a lot, but that's why he's here, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is the reality of how John Johnson is going to get used, at least this season. He's he's going to be playing that deep safety. He was wearing the green sticker again today, uh, which, which, by the way, the green sticker has been like way too big of a story this season. We talk way too much about the green sticker. But anyway, he was wearing the green sticker. They said the Denver guys have gone through three different green sticker guys this year. <laughs> It's been, it's been like the story of the Browns defense this year. Uh, but look, what, what I love is, so Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater is throwing to, I think it was um, John Brown, who I mm-hmm. think has not been on the team very long. It was an awful throw and the Browns punished mm-hmm. him for it. And that's, that's what you've got to do. And, and I think, I, I kind of feel like that's emblematic of this game, right? Denver's a bad team. And the Browns really badly needed a win, and they just found a way to beat a really bad team. So they get to take like this big, deep sigh of relief for the next ten days because they're four and three, and they got to win. And so I think this is sort of a a big moment for John Johnson. Teddy Bridgewater made a bad throw to a receiver he's not familiar with, and he punished him for it. And that's what good defenses do. And I, you know, I thought the defense got a little soft in the second half, but they pitched a shutout in the first half, and that was a big part of it. Scott, we've kind of gone back and forth with this defense this year. The Minnesota, you know, they got after Justin Fields in Chicago like crazy. They played great at Minnesota, win that game. Then the two rough games against the Chargers and the Cardinals. Where, what, how should we be thinking about this defense now? That they have 10 days off, Steelers are next. Do we feel good about this defense again? Or is that just mostly Teddy Bridgewater and an incompetent Denver offense? I guess it depends on whether or not Miles Garrett's going to have another players-only meeting on Monday. Those seems to work out pretty good for them. Maybe just have one every week, you know, just talk things over and, and get on the same page. Yeah. I, again, we've said all podcasts that the Broncos are not very good. I think putting together a string of these, uh, definitely doing the skin against the Steelers uh, is another step in the right direction. But I mean, they look good. I mean, they did what they were supposed to do. Uh, you know, they, they struggled in that first half against the Texans and Tyrod Taylor. And that was a big surprise. So that didn't happen, really. I mean, there was really one drive, that first drive of the second half, where the Broncos uh, started moving the ball and looked pretty good. Um, but other than that, I thought the Browns, the Browns did really well. And, you know, and I do agree with Dan. It was a horrible throw on the pick. I, that was like halfway there. I'm like, oh, somebody's got to get that. There's no way that should be completed. Uh, 
But again, you did, they did what they had to do. Without JOK, at least on some third downs, they were in like a 6DB look, which I don't, I guess they probably use that at times this year, but they definitely had all three safeties, three corners, and Anthony Walker on the field for some of those third and tens and stuff like that. But I did just feel like, I think you, I think it did feel JOK's absence a little bit. And they, a lot of Malcolm Smith, right? Some more whack Mac Wilson than yeah. we have seen. Sioni Takitaki had a role, but you missed JOK a little bit. All right. We'll by finish. the way, I, I, I do want to say when, when it comes to maybe getting this defense right and getting on a roll, you know, we talk about Denver being bad. The Browns are about to get into a stretch here where they've got some bad offenses coming up. They got Pittsburgh in the next game. They've got New England, who has been a little up and down. They play Detroit. So three of their next four, Cincinnati's the one, the one offense that, that really kind of scares you in that group. Three of the next four are going to be opportunities for this defense to kind of continue continue this trend a little bit and, and maybe get themselves right. I will say that there was a key conversion on the final Broncos touchdown drive where again, uh, Joe Woods blitzed two people dropped tack McKinley in coverage and tack McKinley wound up covering one-on-one <laughs> the, the Broncos best receiver. Yeah, that great. And like actually did kind of an okay job, like made the tackle on it, but also it was like a key conversion. And I'm just like, why is that the thing that happened there that you wound up with a defensive end on their best receiver and your blitzers don't come close to getting home that they've, I thought they did pretty well with the four man rush and dropping people in coverage tonight. And I understand you've got to throw some wrinkles at people, but it feels like still they're at a point where the wrinkles mess them up and the basics are getting it done a little bit more. Mary Kay will finish with this. Cause we have like 10 days of podcast before the next game and you guys need to write and go to bed this mini buy for this wounded team. We'll leave Baker as we don't exactly know how things are going to go. How should Browns fans be feeling? They're going to get a little healthier. You hope four and three, where should everybody be right now heading into the Steelers in two weekends? You know, when, when I look at uh, the next, like, like Dan mentioned over the next four or five games, I think this team uh, can win a significant amount of games. I think once everybody starts to filter back in and get healthy, uh, I, I think they're going to be kind of right where they need to be in the thick of it. And they can peak when they need to in mid-November, early December. Uh, because, I mean, if you think about it, you start seeing Jarvis, Odell, Nick, Kareem, all out on that field together. Jack Conklin back, Jed back. It's going to start looking pretty good. The only... The only variable, the question mark, is the quarterback. I mean, and that's a big one, obviously. Uh, but just in terms of guys coming back healthy and and getting the job done, I, I think I think it looks good. I mean, when you look at a team like the Broncos, like it looks like they are trending in the way wrong direction. I think the Browns are going to be trending in the right direction over the next three, four, five weeks. Browns four and three. Make sure you guys are reading cleveland.com slash Browns for all these great stories from everybody. Great time to be a Browns insider. Get all this information right in your phone with our tech service, extra stuff in the newsletter. And there's just going to be like a lot of injury information coming down the pike in the next nine, 10 days as this team tries to get a little bit healthier. Thanks to you guys for listening. For Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, and Scott Patsko. Thanks for joining us on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast.